You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Again, everybody, I'm your host, Nick Scheiss, and I'm joined again today by Professor Cleese to talk NBA Finals and more. Ping! We're recording. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Coach Clayton, Professor Cleese. Uh, yeah, reporting in live from uh, South America, English teacher. <laughs> English teacher, yes, but I think when we did the show last time, we talked a lot of football. We didn't talk about uh, your background, so I don't know. You have an extensive basketball background, but I don't know. Walk me through kind of like the the basics of it, because we're going to talk basketball. So let's get into your credentials. Um, well, I'm currently in South America. Um, I guess I'll work backwards for you. Okay. So... As I was um, playing professional basketball here in South America, I'm currently retired due to pandemic and other factors, but I played a few years out here. I've been out here since 2008, I believe, playing professionally. And going back to the States, I played my last year of uh, ABA basketball in Las Vegas. Um, The year before that, I was traveling with an Australian uh, national team that was uh, touring all of America, playing Division One universities um, throughout the, the Northwest. So I got to kind of see Idaho, Utah, all of that region. It was a pretty cool experience. Um, Australian guys are a really nice, welcoming type of fellows, man. I really enjoyed those guys. Um, uh, then the year before that, I played one year in um, a historical black college in uh, Texas. And um, we ended up making the Division Division Two tournament, and um, got knocked out in the first round. Um, and then before that, I played a year in uh, in Saginaw, Michigan, uh, Division Two basketball as well. So I've, I've been around. Uh, my early years were played um, in Los Angeles in uh, the North Hollywood High School um, gym the origins of the ARC Foundation. I don't know if you uh, if you guys are familiar with American Round Ball Corporation, but uh, a lot of uh, NBA players uh, started out of there. Um, for example, the two twins were on my team, the two Collins twins that went to Harvard-Westlake and onto the NBA. Jared um, and Jason? Yeah, there you go, Jared and Jason. Um, I actually went to elementary school with them too, so we had like a long... Uh, you know, run together as far as just, you know, playing, playing all over the place, AAUs, just, you know, just traveling and uh, meeting a lot of guys. And a lot of guys that I met, you know, playing in these AAU tournaments, a lot of them ended up, you know, Division One players going to the pros. Um, some real strong players, Baron Davis was a rival, um, Gilbert Arenas was a rival. Um, even when we were younger, we played up to play against some of the competitions. So we played against... Uh, a California legend. I don't know if you guys know this name, but uh, Shea Cott played against him as well. Um, 
and just yeah, just playing uh playing since the beginning, man. Basketball, football, whatever, track, baseball, everything. It was just it was what we did. We were outside. Got to be uh and be active. All right. So didn't you tell me you played against uh, Gary Payton's older brother also, or his younger yeah. brother? Uh, his uh, younger brother, his younger brother um, for North Cal, and uh, we played against them in the Las Vegas tournament at UNLV, and um, they ended up beating us uh, with just a simple pick and roll offense. And yeah, his uh, his brother was a monster. Uh, played just like him, and but left-handed. Mm. And yeah, it's ironic. <laughs> yeah, it's ironic that his son now, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, is left-handed as well. Yeah, I'm happy to see him uh, get that chance with Golden State, even though he got hurt on that uh, that flagrant foul. But, you know, he wasn't doing anything on Washington. So Golden State's a good fit for him, especially as they're looking to build, like, uh, depth behind their uh, their old starting core. And since we're talking about Golden State, they're in the finals again. I think it's the sixth time in eight years. They won three of them. They lost two. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people... A lot of you know basketball fans are not thrilled with that because, like you know, most people don't like dynasties dominating sports for long periods of time. It's the reason people hated the Patriots, or it's a reason that people didn't like Jordan and the Bulls. So you see Golden State back. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm happy for them because the last time they were in the finals, it just it, you know it ended shitty for them. They they lose Clay and they lose Durant, both to horrible injuries. And that's the year that Toronto wins with Kawhi. And I just wanted to see both those teams play each other at full strength. And, you know, that's never going to happen again since Kawhi's moved on to struggling with the Clippers to be a kind of like a mid-level playoff team. But Golden State's back. They still play the same brand of basketball. They're just a little bit older. And they're squaring off against... Boston, who, you know, they basically started over, but Boston has been around. They've been in the playoffs for like 10 straight years or something like that. So even though this kind of like new team that's uh, predicated around Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, uh, those guys have uh, Smart's been there for like eight, 10 years. So he's the longest tenured Celtic. But the other two guys have only been there for like maybe three or four seasons. And they just, you know, built this team from the ground up, getting better and better. And, you know, everything's finally clicked. They, I don't remember who they played in the first round, but they eliminate Milwaukee in seven and they eliminate Miami, who recently went to the finals in seven. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember the first round that well. Yeah, they swept uh, the Nets. They sent Garnett. Oh, that, I, that's Irving. Right. So yeah, you go through Irving and Durant. Uh, then you go through Giannis and then you go through Jimmy Butler. So that says a lot about how their team is able to handle like the very best superstars in the league. Um, and I would say that, you know, Jimmy Butler probably got the best of them. Uh, he had some monster games and watching kind of the games that Boston was able to control the Milwaukee series and come back from, I think, three, two down in that series to win. Uh, it was all like just outsmarting Janice, like, you know, kind of bait him into the area where he thinks he's good and then pressure and force a turnover. And with Durant, it was like they trapped a little bit earlier at the perimeter and just like forced the ball out of his hands quicker. Um, and then with Jimmy Butler, they kind of 
they kind of figured him out uh, in some games. And what I liked from them was like anytime he was going to drive, they just didn't commit early. They're like, stay planted and like wait. And when he goes up, then time him. But like, don't jump early. Force him to either take that like contested turnaround fadeaway or uh, force him to give the ball up. So similar kind of to what you saw Golden State do against Luka. Like Luka put up a bunch of points in those games, but had nothing on defense. And like watching him offensively, it's like, yeah, he gets a lot of points because he like he'll shoot a three and he'll get to the free throw line and he finishes strong around the basket. So when he gets into a certain scoring range, he's very effective. But even though he scored all those points, I think Golden State actually did a really good job on him defensively considering, you know, they just threw Andrew Wiggins at him. And it was like, all right, Andrew Wiggins is not their best defender on paper. Uh, but, you know, Clay's still dealing with the uh, recovery from the injury. And Draymond's a little bit too valuable to stick him out there uh, and just leave him one-on-one. So it's going to be an interesting defensive battle, uh, battle to see which of these two teams kind of establishes their identity first. Because Boston's length at the perimeter is going to be a problem for Golden State, I think. Because your matchup-wise, like you're going to stick smart on Steph probably and just live with it. Like Steph's going to get his points because he's going to get his points, but if you can frustrate him and get him to be even like slightly ineffective or just settle for some bad shots here and there, it's going to add up throughout the course of a game. And I don't think Clay is in a position where he's going to out-athlete Tatum. And then you're going to stick, you know, Jalen Brown wherever as a floating defender. And then uh, Williams, since he's come back from uh, having his baby, has been uh, a great big man for them. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Golden State, who has been there before, who has clearly the basketball IQ and the experience on their side, I want to see how they attack that defense and vice versa. Um, I think that it's going to be <clears throat> a, a true matchup because they both fit each other. Like the the best defense going against the best offense, and then Boston going through what they've gone through, experience wise. There's no quit in those guys. So regardless, however the series goes, I mean it could be two o three o. Like they're gonna fight. They're gonna fight. So. I think we're our, our money's worth. So I think we're, it's kind of like seeing a heavyweight championship fight, you know, like both both teams have their, you know, their big right hands, but we're going to see how they respond after getting hit in the chin. Using that analogy, which team do you think has the better jab? Um It's a, it's a tough call because I mean, when it comes to winning championships, you know, defense is usually the way to go, but this is a new era of NBA. And because Golden State has so many snipers, it's going to come down to whether or not Boston can close out on all those shooters and make them shoot a lower percentage so Boston can ensure victories with their defense. Now, if you don't discourage the three-point percentage, Golden State's going to run away with the series because they just have too much experience. And if they're able to get what they want to, you can forget about it. So Boston, I would say, has to put their emphasis on just trying to make stuff as difficult as possible. Make them work. Make them get tired. Because like you said, they're older. So if you can make them work harder and then have the game be close in the last two minutes, I think Boston has a, a very strong shot at upsetting them. 
Yeah, because it's going to be tough to defend Tatum, like, in those closing minutes. Like, if he needs to get a shot off, like, I don't know what you want to do matchup-wise. You're probably going to stick Wiggins on him and just hope that the athleticism between the two is comparable enough that Wiggins can stay with him. Um, I'm curious how how Boston wants to go about <clears throat> attacking Steph Curry uh, defensively. Because you saw in uh, the Dallas series that <clears throat> even in the games where Dallas got up because their three-point shooting was good in the first half, like Golden State just hangs around, takes layups when they're there, has a mid-range game. I would argue that they're probably the best shooting team in the playoffs collectively. Uh because even like Draymond can shoot, like he's not a great shooter, but like he'll knock down an open shot and, uh, you know, okay, maybe they can't like shoot at center, but collectively you have to respect uh, like the spacing on the floor because they can all shoot. And like Dallas got punished by that, but Dallas also was smart during the regular season and when they played Golden State that they like looked and they found Curry and they attacked where he was. Uh, and then in the playoffs, Steve Kerr was like, I'm not doing that again. So he stuck Steph like down in the corner and was like, all right, we're not going to make you responsible for guarding uh, Brunson or anybody that's going to eat you up and just like, we're not going to spend your energy doing that. So I don't know if you can get away with that in this series, though, because Boston's pretty well rounded, too. And like Marcus Smart can score. He can shoot. You're going to have to like you're going to have to defend him. So. Mm-hmm. I, like the winner of that match is going to be interesting because Smart is the defensive player of the year. So you would think that he's going to give Steph some problems uh, while he's on defense. And then offensively, he's good enough to give Steph problems on the other side of the ball as well. So, you know, everybody's already stamping Steph at this point as top 10 of all time. Like I've heard that conversation the last like few weeks. It's like, the argument was if he wins this one is he a top 10 all-time player and then the other side of the argument was like oh he's already a top 10 player of all time so i don't know we we both don't agree with that but why don't you explain for the people that are listening to this why you would say that he's not a top 10 player of all time um i have the utmost respect for steph curry just just the fact that he is where he is He's not supposed to be there. So hats off to him for just getting to where he's at, you know, lacking some of the, you know, the the more um and the more the more like normal skills that point guards usually possess. Because he's not it's not real fast, it's not real quick, he's not real strong, but he plays with his mind and uh, he knows the game. He's got good fundamentals. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um it's hard to stamp him top 10, not because of his talent, but because the game has changed so much that where what we were just saying about the, the defense is he's not really forced to defend his position. And this is an advantage for Boston because with Smart being the point guard, it forces Steph to play him because he can't play anybody else on the court. Everybody else is too big. So with Smart's size, and his defensive prowess, he's going to be able to zap some of that energy from Steph. And if he can zap enough of uh, Steph's legs, we've seen when Steph is not, you know, not himself in the finals in the past. And, you know, people are saying, yeah, this is possibly his year. And if he does it, he is top 10. Um, 
I'm not going to say that if he wins this finals and takes an MVP that he can't possibly move up to the top 10, but the performance has to be a strong reflection. Um, I kind of feel like Klay Thompson is, is, is invaluable to that team because the Achilles and the knee was kind of him picking up the slack because Steph never had to guard those guys. And, you know, Thompson took on that responsibility night in and night out. And to be 6'7 and moving lateral with point guards, yeah, that's going to take a lot out of you. So in a weird way, Thompson's sacrifice has brought them closer together as a team because, you know, as far as the team's concerned, camaraderie is almost everything as far as winning championships. So for him to take those bullets for those guys and now come back, um, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. So I'd like to see I'd like to see Clay play well. Um, I also think the the two factors in the series are going to be two players that are not not really the focal point of anything, but I think they're going to be factors in the series. And I think that that player is going to be for Golden State Draymond Green, and the player for Boston I think is going to be Jalen Brown. I think these two players represent a different kind of problem for the other opponent's defense. And if they play well, and because I don't think either team is really game planning for those guys offensively, they're going to give us what they give us on defense because they're, you know, they're, they're good defenders. But I think either one or the other are going to be a factor in this series, kind of making the... Um, their team a little bit more successful because I kind of feel like Steph and Jason Tatum, they're probably gonna gonna cancel each other out as far as scoring. So who's gonna be that that next guy to step up for the you know for their team? That's fair. And like I should clarify that, you know, I think we can both acknowledge that Steph is a great player. He's one of the very best players in this modern league right now. He changed the way the game is played for generations beyond him and not very many guys do that and he did it with that three-point shot that excuse me every team still seems to love including dallas who somehow finished 19th in the league in three-point shooting percentage yet finished eighth in three-point attempts like you had all season to figure out that you weren't a good three-point shooting team and the numbers actually showed you that yet your entire philosophy is based on the lowest percentage shot on the floor. So, like, Dallas deserved to lose that series. Hopefully, you know, they figure it out. Like, it's funny because Jason Kidd being that coach, like, he knows that ain't his basketball. So, I don't know if it's, hey, we got this star, but you trade away a guy like Porzingis who gives you, like, an inside-out threat, uh, and you get Dinwiddie who played well for them, but kind of put them into that position where it's like, well, now we just live and die by the three. Um, but both Steph and, uh, Jason Tatum, I think won the, the conference finals MVP for their respective teams. But in watching that Dallas series, Andrew Wiggins was the best player for Golden State. He guarded the best player on the other team, every possession that he could. And he still was giving you like 20 and 10 a night. Uh, and he carried them early in games when their stars weren't putting points up. 
So those games where Dallas was pulling out early, he was the guy doing the work to keep him there. And then defensively, he put in that work too. So I think you look at Steph and it's like, oh, he's averaging like 26, 27 a game in that series. But it's like, you just look how he gets those points versus look how Wiggins is getting his points. Um, and I think the same thing is true on the other side. Like Jason Tatum is a great player and he's kind of elevated himself into the conversation of some of the other elite players in the league now, especially going through Durant, Giannis, Butler, on the way to the NBA Finals, but I think it's pretty obvious that Marcus Smart is the most valuable player to Boston because he, same thing, he's given you more rebounds than he should per position. Uh, he's still scoring like 20 something a night and he's the best defender on the team. And when he was out of that series, like they got whooped. So I think it says a lot about what Smart brings to the table and what guys like Wiggins and Draymond Green bring to the table, because I think you and I both agree that Draymond is the best player on Golden State, but most people would be like, you're smoking crack, because nobody believes that outside of like real like basketball player type minds. It's just, what, is great, what does Draymond not do for them, is the question, right? He does everything for them. Their, um, their offense can't run without him. He is what frees Steph up. Thompson can pretty much get his own shot when he needs to, but for Steph to Steph needs to get behind the defense. Like if he's just on top with the ball, he doesn't really operate that well and efficient just with the defense set and looking at him. But when Draymond has that ball in the middle and now Steph is moving behind your defense, now you have problems. So if Boston can discourage those passing angles with their defense, Smart is going to be key because you know he's going to be in Steph's hip pocket. Golden State likes to backdoor all day because they don't want to waste their energy trying to beat you off the dribble. So that's why they use Draymond at the high post like that so the guards can just back cut. <laughs> and if you don't honor that back cut, they're going to shoot their threes. So this is kind of how it all runs through Draymond. But a lot of people don't really analyze offenses like that. With no Draymond, Golden State is is not, not as nearly effective with, as without him. Yeah, and I would say also, like, when you watch Golden State on the break, like, who has the ball more often than not? Like, that's your power forward running your fast break. That says a lot about <laughs> not only, like, what he brings physically to the table, but what he brings mentally. Because when they're on defense, he's calling all the assignments. So he's the middle linebacker, uh, to use a football analogy. He's the guy watching how the offense is setting up, and he's the guy calling all the assignments out. The only knock on Draymond that I really have is that, like, you know, he forces a lot. And I mean, that's just a bad habit of Golden State that they're, they should know better by now, but they turn the ball over way too much. It's like for them, chance. for them, like, you know what? If we only turn the ball over 13 times a game, I think we're good. It's like, as long as we don't like get more than 15, but it's like 13 turnovers in a game is a ton. <laughs> it's because their offensive philosophy is they think if they thread the needle, they know even if that pass doesn't get there, it's opening up that next cut. Yeah. So, it's letting the defense know, hey, we will take that. And when you threaten that throughout the game and now you're in the last two minutes, you have to honor those back cuts, man, because those are layups. And that's why you see those guys getting wide open looks at the end of games because the defense is like, oh, no, I can't get beat back door. And then they're just stepping out to the three-point line and it's a wide open look. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were talking about, about them, like their willingness to take layups and find a mid-range shot where basically no other team in the NBA really shoots a mid-range shot as a collective group. It's just that has fallen off in favor of the three because 
it's like, oh, we get a 50% shot here, like a 33% shot here that's more valuable. So everybody invests in the three. But I think it tells you that these two teams are in the finals for the way they play basketball, not just because of the talent on the floor. Um, it's going to be an interesting series, though. It starts tomorrow. Uh, I don't even know who's got home court first. Golden State, I think, was what, the three? Yeah, I don't know how they do it. The last time I heard about them doing it was through the All-Star game, but I don't know how they do it anymore. It's like, who gets the, is it record or, I don't know how it goes. Yeah, I'll look it up just because. Warriors versus Celtics. So, Golden State is at home. Oh, it's uh, it goes first, uh, first team first is the home team? Higher seed, yeah. So, you know, Boston, like, they were sub-500 in January and had to basically get it together down the stretch to get into the playoffs and... That's why they had that tough draw where it's like, all right, you're the low seed, so you're basically facing like all the heavy hitters on the way home to the finals. Uh, I will say that Boston is more battle tested, though. Like you talked about it a little bit earlier, where like they're not going to give up if they get down 1 0 in the series, 2 0 in the series. Like they're well coached and collectively they've been together for a while. So similar to like that young Golden State team that was built out of the draft. Uh, with Clay and Steph and Draymond, that first that team that first got good uh, and won the title when Steve Kerr came in, Boston is actually a lot like them. They're just a little bit bigger. They don't quite shoot the three as much. They run more of a, a perimeter defense. But Boston has had troubles with turnovers too. I think they got they gave up 19 steals in that game against Miami. Like that's a staggering number of steals alone. Yeah, that's on. Um... That's a lot on Smart and a lot on uh, Tatum because a lot of their offense comes from off the bounce. So a lot of times when you're putting the ball on the floor, especially in the playoffs, defenders are they're lurking, they're all over the place. So you got to kind of be a little bit more um, aware of kind of what's around you when you're putting the ball on the floor. Um, this is where Golden State is so effective because they would rather you know pass. So they're not taking as many chances as far as bouncing the ball, but they're taking that risk with some of those passes. If those passes get through, it's going to be a long, long night for Boston. But also, too, I'm thinking if Boston figures them out, Golden State might have problems because they haven't faced any adversity yet. So they haven't truly been stopped. So if Boston figures out how to kind of stifle them and stop them, do they have kind of that secondary you know, page of strategy to figure that out, to, to adjust to it. Boston is battle-tested, so kind of whatever Golden State throws at them, they're just going to keep fighting, clawing and scratching. Yeah, I think one thing that I'll be looking for is if Marcus Smart is starting to frustrate Curry fairly early, Steph is known to take some really bad decision type of shots. Uh like clock awareness is gone like situational awareness is gone he takes a three because he knows that if he hits it like the crowd lights up the team lights up he it gives him that kind of like little extra boost in the confidence to be like all right like i'm i'm here but like situationally that's not always a good shot to take and we've seen him get frustrated and force that shot and that's not the recipe to beat this Boston team. So I will be watching to see if he's willing to just do the role that he's supposed to do. Because when he plays well and he's not doing that, like 
you know, he can pull down like seven, eight rebounds a game. He can get some steals. Uh, he doesn't need to score 30, 35 a night. I mean, there's times where it's like they're going to obviously need him to score, but they're very rarely running him out there in a situation now where he's got no help on the floor. He's always going to have Poole out there or he's going to have uh, one of the other two main stars out there. And you could see uh, GP2 coming back here. You could see Iguodala play in this finals as well, who would help a lot, although, you know, he's my age, so... He's been dealing. He's been dealing with a lot of nagging injuries, and like his his prime is behind him. But basketball IQ goes a long way, especially in the finals. Yeah, I'd like to see Steph in uh, in more of an attack mode, like towards the end of the game. And if he's in pick and roll with Draymond, I think he's more effective trying to get in that foul line area because I mean he's pretty much a, a an automatic shooter in that area. But maybe he doesn't feel so confident because his release is kind of low. He shoots that like push shot, so mm. more he more so wants to shoot the floater. But if he can attack Boston, you know, internally in the last two minutes of the game, he's a great foul shooter, and he's got shooters around him. So I don't think he necessarily has to depend on that step back. The step back is, I mean, he when he's on, he's on, but it's such a low percentage shot, especially at the end of a game because you're fatigued. And you're putting all your emphasis on that. And for a defender, mentally, that's kind of a bailout shot. You're kind of like, okay, take that. Yeah, and if if you want to get into the pick and roll, um, I don't even know who you isolate on Boston. Like, you, you, yeah. I guess I guess Horford. Yeah, the big men are really good defenders. Exactly. So. Yeah, Steph's going to have to – he's going to have to think a little bit because when he's coming off that screen, yeah, it's a big guy, but these guys can move their feet. And, like I said, he shoots that push shot so they can get a hand up too and kind of affect how he wants to shoot it because he doesn't get in the air. So I would say, yeah, attack. Attack with the floater and go from there because if you can get in the paint and make Boston have to kind of come back to the paint, now you guys can do what you normally do, hitting those shooters and things open up. But you got to attack them internally. You got to make those big guys, you know, at least fear attacking the rim. Yeah, I just like Robert Williams is a nice, young, athletic big. He can get out to the perimeter, good shot blocker. And then Horford's just patient and smart, too. It's just like you'd have a better chance footwork wise if you can isolate him at the perimeter and maybe get around him. But like if you're stuck in the, in the pick and roll with Williams, like I don't know that Steph's going to be able to consistently get his shot up over that guy. So they're going to have to they're going to have to work the pick and roll to you know what's his uh Looney is that his name yeah he's played big minutes for them he's been great on the offensive glass there was a couple games in that Dallas series where he scored you know like 8-10 in the first quarter uh and just like made his presence felt and he's going to have to be doing that in this series like he's not going to be able to just sit there and clean up the shots of everybody else everyone's going to have to be involved for Golden State Boston's front line is very mean, and Golden State doesn't really have a front line. So, perimeter guys versus other perimeter guys with big defenders. Yeah, let me take a look at the Warriors depth chart here. Um, you know, also too needs to just kind of just play his role, do his thing. Is uh, is smart as far as the turnovers because he needs to remember he's the point guard, so he's got to set the tone and not turn the ball over because. Once Boston realized, like, oh, okay, if we don't turn the ball over against Miami, we got this. 
So yep. <laughs> as soon as they stopped doing that, it was easy for them. So if they can, you know, have ball control and and be patient, I think they can wear on uh, Golden State. What happened with Miami? I mean, we both know Jimmy Butler is a great player. Even in that, I think that game they lost, he still had like 40, maybe the high 30, something like that. Like he still put in work, especially in the third quarter to get him back in a game where they were down like 15 at the half. But he can't do it all by himself. And I don't know what's going on in Miami, but like they don't really have a mid-range game either. And they just don't shoot well as a group, like at all. Like the other team that they had where it was like Robinson, Hero, Crowder, and they're spacing the floor and shooting a lot of threes and balancing it out, like... I don't know. That's kind of gone. They had uh, the one. I uh, can't think of his name right now. The white guy, thirty-one. Um, oh, Duncan Robinson. No, he he came off the bench and he did have a good game late in uh, one of those games where it's like, oh, he saw some balls go through the net. Maybe this is going to be like something big for him. But he, you know, he just his defense is so bad that he couldn't stay on the floor. Uh, Struce. Sorry. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Miami's um, also, too, like they're always just kind of so banged up at the end of the year. Like it's hard to win when you got guys in and out of the lineup and like you're depending on these guys, you know, and it's hard to adjust at the highest level. Yeah. I like Kyle Lowry a lot for the most part. Uh, Like when he was in Toronto, he was great. The last time I played fantasy basketball, it was like, oh, I'm never drafting anybody over 35 again because it's just injuries pile up during the season. And Lowry was one of those injuries, and he was hurt again this season. And I think he missed the first game of the series against Boston, came back in the second series, and you could see the value of his floor IQ and leadership in terms of running their offense was there. But up until, I don't know, game six, I was like, I don't think I've seen him make a shot in this whole series and he had uh, I think it was game six where he had 18 and it was like yeah well they won because of that like as long as he gives them like 12 to 15 like that's something but he was getting a lot of open looks and just couldn't knock anything down so it's like if you're the second best player on the team and you cannot make a shot it's gonna be a long road for them to get back and as much as I like Lowry it just he became a liability for them down the stretch uh it's just his his scoring wasn't there and his style of defense of like kind of similar to marcus smart where it's like he's gonna get in the way and take that foul he wasn't getting the benefit of the doubt on that call a lot so it's like all right well you're just getting run over and giving up points you're not getting the foul call for you and you're not scoring on the other end you know maybe just come out come off the bench you know run run with the second team and get some of those guys looks and get duncan robinson and tyler hero like the kind of shots that they need to maybe start heating up so it seems like uh miami just struggled with their philosophy a little bit too um but hey they still got to the eastern conference finals uh but they, they do need to change probably a couple of things like i think bam had 31 in one game and then it's like he just i don't know like barely there in some of the other games but that says a lot about what boston was able to do to them collectively on defense uh because bam wasn't able to get to his shot that he likes very often he doesn't have a ton of moves in the paint, so he couldn't just make his shot happen. He couldn't like hit that fadeaway off the glass like Tim Duncan would always punish you with. So it's like Tim Duncan's the kind of guy who's going to catch the ball on the block. He can turn, go to the hook. He can turn the other way, go off the glass. He can pass. So I, I don't know that at this point in his career, Bam's going to start being able to develop those kind of skills because it just seems like if you don't develop that kind of fundamental basketball before you get to the league, 
it just doesn't come. And yeah, in this era of basketball too, nobody's really emphasizing post plays uh, unless you have like a Joel Embiid. So they're not really going to give him that many touches on the block. And he's not really that effective down there anyway. So he's kind of just a glorified power forward, just kind of running up and down. Yeah. And like, he's, he's a good athlete and like, he seems like he's a, a good teammate and I don't want to like bash him, but he's not the star that they had kind of billed him as when Miami went to the finals of the, like that bubble year where it was like, Oh, Adebayo is going to be like this stud. And it's like, no, he's a good player, but he's like Chris Bosch all over again. Like Chris Bosch had his moments, but ultimately like when playing with another star, like Chris Bosch was not the star anymore. Like when you're playing on a bad Raptors team and you're the only option, like, of course, like you're going to dominate over the course of 82 game season. You're going to have nice numbers that make you look like a star. But when it came down to it, like Chris Bosch was a good complimentary player to two other better players. Yeah, I think they thought Bam was gonna like, you know, evolutionize a little bit. And he kind of is what he is. <laughs> He's more of a defender, uh, rim protector. I mean, he'll clean up for you, but it's hard to give him the ball, you know, with the game on the line, say, go get it, Bam. Like, it's hard to do that, especially like if that's not your philosophy either. Yeah, and, like, he hit some shots. That game that he had, I think, the 31 points or whatever, like, he hit some mid-range shots. Like, he got to the elbow. He was confident in that shot. He made some, uh, he had some dunks, some putbacks, worked a lot on the offensive glass. What I don't understand is that I think Alonzo Mourning still works for that team. Oh, really? Yeah, like, I still see him on the bench over there all the time or, like, behind the bench. So either he's an assistant coach or he's somewhere in the front office. But of all the guys you could have around that, would be good to learn from like he's one of them and i think we see like in uh the nfl like carson palmer or sorry uh palmer's brother was it jason palmer i don't know jason there's like Palmer, i think whoever runs the quarterback camp in the off season yeah i think it's oh no i'm not sure i'm not sure i don't know somebody i'm not, I'm not fact checking myself right now i don't have an assistant for that um but yeah, there's there's tight end academy or tight end university or whatever where the tight ends go. So it's like you're starting to see that like the good players are learning from each other and learning from uh, the other guys in front of them where like I don't know that that's the case. Like obviously there's a lot of good NBA players that are friends that uh, I'm sure they hang out in the offseason even though they play on different teams and stuff. And that's kind of how we've seen the trajectory of the league move these guys around to all these different situations just trying to find the right fit um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it didn't work for the lakers this time and you know lebron james statistically probably had one of his better years but at the end of the day like your team was sub 500 and missed the playoffs yeah and, um and we're supposed to be calling this guy the greatest player of all time I think uh, I think the era kind of passed LeBron up a little bit too because, like now, stars don't really win championships. It's like you need them, but you need a team now. Teams go eight, nine deep. Like for example, Memphis, though they play everybody because they feel like if if one of the nine guys that we play, you know, gets hot, we can ride that and we play great defense. So. 
that's kind of the philosophy. It's kind of changing Boston as well. Like they play a lot of players because they're focusing on defending you as opposed to star power. So I think with the evolution of the three-point shot, it kind of nullifies star power. And so like your Westbrooks, your LeBron Jameses, those guys in a in a weird way are becoming obsolete because they're not efficient enough from two-point range to keep up with the era of this three-point game. So they try to kind of keep up with it individually, but as a shooter, it's much harder to shoot that shot with the ball in your hands. It's better to catch that shot, catch that ball and shoot that shot, you know, for a higher percentage. So LeBron and, and a Westbrook type of guy are going off the bounce trying to shoot that shot. You see how many problems Steph has shooting it. He's the greatest shooter of all time. So I think the era is kind of leaving these players, these LeBron and these Westbrook players type of kind of behind a little bit because all that energy to get to the rim and these guys are just shooting threes and playing defense and they have something in the tank at the end of the games. LeBron didn't finish well at all this season because he was too tired having to spend all that energy throughout the first three quarters. Yeah, and I mean, you see it in Luka, like he doesn't play defense at all. I mean, even like a couple years removed, like James Harden, same thing. Like he spends mm -hmm. all that energy, isolation, dribbling, trying to either beat you on that first move and like throw some shit up that he gets a foul on, or he's trying to sell you on that move and then hit that step back three. But it's like a lot of dribbling because it's all like he's trying to time the footwork of like where the defender is so that he can create his shot. But I remember a stat that I think it was back when Harden was on the Rockets and Golden State uh, was playing them in the Western Finals. And the stat was something like total dribbles taken in the series so far. And Harden had more than the entire Golden State big three. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, no wonder you're tired. Like you're working the entire time, but then you don't play defense on the other end. And you want to be like, oh, well, I don't have enough help around me. So like the same thing's happening with Dallas. Like the average person's like, oh, Luca needs help. He doesn't have help, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you didn't surround him with necessarily the best shooters because obviously your team three-point shooting percentage isn't good. So why have him spend all that energy to get into the paint to kick out to an open shooter who's not a good shooter anyway? Like surround him with some bigger guys that can finish near the rim, play perimeter defense, so you don't have to ask that of him. Kind of what Boston is doing, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the league develops. And uh, I was talking to Kristen the other night and I said I'm really curious to see how the league treats LeBron when he retires because she asked me like what happened to Kobe she, she's like how did he just like get enveloped by LeBron in the like the greatest player of all time conversation like what happened to him like wasn't he the guy and I was like he was but he's not he's not around anymore so as soon as he retired like the torch got moved and LeBron became the guy. And then now I guess Luca's the guy because he's so talented offensively that even when it doesn't look like he's playing well, it's like, oh, he's got 47, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm like, it doesn't look like he's being all that effective. But I'm looking at the stat line. I'm like, well, he's filling it up still, but they're losing. So um, I, I, I just came down to the, the idea that, like, if you're the NBA, it's bad business to say that our best days are behind us, right? 
they want to be like we're about the future the game is getting better the players are getting better like the stars are better than any of the stars in the past because it's good for business but when you actually talk to all of like the analysts who have retired who cover the sport now they're all just like nah this is a garbage product and like charles barkley gets in trouble all the time because he's like what is this crap like him and Shaq take so much crap on the air but it's like you know six seven years ago when they were those commentators like they were beloved for their stance and now that the game has gone the way that it is there's like kind of that that pushback from the people that want the league to like move forward with the style that it has now versus kind of the guys from the previous era who are just like this isn't good basketball yeah it's uh it's pretty much um a three-point shooting contest now like in a nutshell and which make what makes boston so valuable is they're one of the only teams that like for example they'll let you do what you do for three and a half quarters four quarters yeah and then they'll change in the moment like so like a player like a luca or a player like a lebron they kind of play into uh, even Giannis too. They play into the hands of Boston because Boston they'll just kind of let you do what you do, and then they'll adjust when it's the moment. They'll 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 change the defense totally, and they'll force you to a situation that you haven't done previously a whole lot. And they're making you take the shot that they want you to take, as opposed to your star getting the shot that he wants. That's the difference, kind of between this this new era with uh, Luca and LeBron. Like those guys are still great, but defenses can dictate and not let them have what they want. Yeah, and I think that conversation came up because uh, you had sent me that video of like the ultimate Jordan mixtape with a, it was like a reaction video of a guy who's a LeBron fan watching this. And so like I was just watching it on the couch and Kristen was like on her iPad watching something. And like, I was just watching the video like, oh my God, like, Jordan beasting the entire defense on the other team. And we are seeing guys in the playoffs right now who are like double team turnover, right? And I'm watching Mike run through five, six dudes. He'll run into a triple team, still get to the rim or get the ball to the other cutter. Like this idea that I, I understand the NBA's perspective, right? Like if they're just like, no, Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time. And that was 30 years ago, basically. And that would that like those are our golden years and that's gone and now we have to change the rules to make it more friendly to the offense and you know make our stars seem better than they are we're just not going to call traveling because our guys don't know the fundamentals and there's an argument about this like the hack-a-shack strategy because the guys are not good enough at shooting free throws so we're trying to eliminate this particular rule to not expose that they're as bad as free throws that they are or oh there's players that are load managing because they don't want to play the entire season it's like i understand all that but this idea that the fans that didn't watch my player just like well i didn't see it so i don't understand it and i just i have no interest in understanding it and we're just gonna anoint whoever the next guy is in the nba michael jordan was a better basketball player than anybody that's ever played it's not close and i don't say that lightly like he was so much better than today's generation of stars because he did everything on both sides of the ball. He played 82 games a season most of the time. I think he played 80 or more games, what, 11 times, they said? Uh, so basically, the majority of his career, he's playing every night. Uh, he's playing close to 45 minutes a game. Uh, 
defensive Man. player of the year in the hardest like defensive era in basketball uh like six time mvp like three four time finals mvp uh this idea that like mike would just be an average player i think it was jason williams right the guy who went to duke point guard he came out on one of his shows and said something like i don't mike, like my, yeah i don't like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I saw him in an argument with Max Kellerman where Max was basically saying that, like, he was saying that, like, Steph's greatness is not quite where people are putting it. And whatever you think of Max Kellerman, like, he had a point to his argument and Jason Williams, like, walked off the set or whatever. But, yeah, Williams was like, oh, Mike would just be uh, an all-star, like, if he were playing today and be like, nope. <laughs> he would average 50. And, see, and the thing is, too, I think as fans, we're being shortchanged. Um Within the era of Michael Jordan, we got to see everything because that three-point line was in such a like a place that nobody kind of dealt with to where it opened up the floor to where there was space so we could really see who could play. So once this era changed to this three-point barrage stuff, there's no like angles anymore. Like you can't really see guys get off. Even like some of the guys from the era, even after Jordan, like those guys were unbelievable one-on-one players. Your Tracy McGrady's, you know, your Steve Francis. Like, those guys don't really exist anymore because everything is built on this three-point shot and the spacing of that. So it's just like kind of just kind of drive and kick it to the shooter. Now, I think there's a solution for this. I don't know if the NBA will do it, but I think the NBA could take the spacing back in basketball because these athletes, they're just a lot bigger now, so there's just not as much room to operate. So I think if they were... But they, I don't know if they could do it because of the, the sidelines. If they would move the three-point line back even farther. Mm. Move it back farther, and it creates that second, that two-point shot dimension even more. And you're going to see a lot more stuff, a lot more dunks, a lot more just action. But you might have to widen the floor because of the, the three-point line in the corner is so close to the sideline. So, like, I don't know how you would do it dimensionally. But I think if they were to move that three-point line back, the NBA would get a lot more entertaining again. Yeah, I mean, it's the reason that I really don't watch regular season basketball because none of it really matters. It's like, all right, well, half the league is going to make the playoffs. And then once that starts, like, we'll know who's good and who's not. And I'll watch some of that. And then when elimination games start happening, like now there's actual meaningful basketball happening. Uh, but like when you're when your best players are like, nah, I'm not really invested in like playing every game in the season. Like why is I should a fan, uh, why should I as a fan care at all? And so it's just, it's a weird spot where it's like, you know, I still, for the most part, I still play basketball. I still love basketball. I, I love the game. I, you know, I'm not in the best shape to even play it anymore, but I still miss playing uh, since our season has ended. And I don't know that the NBA is ever going to like go to the competition committee and be like, we want the game to go back closer to something that is from the past. Right. Cause now you're seeing scores like, Oh, this game's 130 to 120. Right. So mm -hmm. on paper, it looks like the game is really like this amazing game, but it's like, well, yeah, no one's playing defense and everyone's shooting 63s a game. Like, of course it's 120 to 130. So it's a weird spot for the NBA to be in where like they're successful. The owners clearly enjoy it. Like the three point shot has become more exciting than like a dunk. Cause you don't really see dunks like that. That's why when Wiggins dunked on a uh, Luca like that, 
like I vocally like in my house, which I don't ever do. I'm like, oh my god! I was like, that was disgusting. I was like, I haven't seen that in forever. Like when you show me, you show me the John Morant one from like uh, late in the season, like last month of the season. It's like okay, like that's a vicious dunk, going to the rim like with authority. Yeah, we don't we don't even really see it anymore. When that used to be kind of what drove everybody's like, damn, who got dunked on this week in the league? And that kind of kept the league competitive. They played hard every night. Now it's just like, okay, whoever wins the three-point battle pretty much is going to win the game. Oh, I see Kristen signaling me with turning the office light on and off. Because <laughs> I have the door closed. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting future for the league, especially with what comes out of the championship because say golden state wins it's like now you're trapped in kind of like the golden state dynasty era again where like it, they play good basketball they play good team defense they have a mid-range game they go to the rim like they're smart they're well coached so it's like they play basketball the right way and they're like a modern version of the spurs which is why they're still there there's a reason that Spurs team, even as old as they were with Parker and Ginobili and Duncan, they were able to still get it done. Um, I mean, like, yes, having a young Kawhi Leonard at the time helped a lot, but, like, that team was competitive for a long, 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 long time with those guys well into their mid-30s. So, in that regard, I'm, I'm happy to see Golden State at least representing, like, good basketball and Boston as well representing good basketball. So, I think we're actually going to have a really good NBA Finals between these two teams. Uh but I'm just curious, like, is the rest of the league going to catch up or are we going to like still keep giving Mike D'Antoni jobs? Like Mike D'Antoni has never won anything of significance in his coaching career in the NBA yet. Every couple of years, some teams like, nope, you're the guy. You're going to you're going to turn us into this juggernaut that scores 130 points a game and we're not going to win anything, but we're going to sell tickets and we're going to be exciting. And then you're going to move on to the next team and like sell your brand of basketball there and do the same thing. But nothing ever changes. And in a weird way, if Golden State wins this finals, it's bad for the NBA because yeah. Golden State shouldn't be where they are. Clay's older, Steph's older, Draymond's older, and they don't have Durant anymore, and they're dominating your league. That's not that's not good for your product because you can't sell all that hype that you oh you know we're trading this guy and it's you know getting this drafted like all that hype that you do is. It's just noise because at the end of the day, at the end of the season, it's Golden State with the same the same formula. And it's a formula that you guys kind of dismissed a few years ago, making it seem like, oh yeah, these guys are done. They're, you know, they're washed up. And they come back a year later, just healthy and, you know, just playing the same style with not even the same amount of time that they had before and are crushing the competition. Yeah. Still still going strong. And I think anybody that's really like played basketball for a significant period of time like there's always that team of older guys that like knows how to play together they knock down their shots and they beat you even though you're supposed to be better than them and i mean the team i played on has been that team we're mostly guys that are over 35 and we're playing like kids that are fresh out of high school that are coming off like their high school basketball team it's like we're nowhere near as good as these guys but we play defense, we play together, and we understand the game that like we're not built on star power. So we're able to compete at a level where we probably shouldn't be competitive. And it's like, who's this group of, you know, nearly 40 year olds who are still giving us problems? 
not that we're like even all that good it's just we do like simple basketball stuff and it translates well yeah that's the that's kind of the reality of the nba you could get five old guys that can beat you know nba team on any given night it's just those young guys in the nba they're playing 82 games so just being able to get through the attrition of a season you know that's what makes those guys the pros but a lot of them aren't mentally strong you know don't respond well to adversity you know they struggle with those things that's why the 82 game season doesn't really mean much and like you said we see what they're made of when the playoffs come around because you know that's that's the real time and that's where i have a lot of admiration for for jimmy butler in that case because all his stats go up and that's yep. what the great that's what the greats do you know in the playoffs the numbers go up every last great you know their numbers go up and you know that that just sits sits very well with me when a guy can up his stats in every category going into the playoffs i want a guy like that on my team because it's like and this guy's going to give me everything. Yeah, it was when this when the Eastern Conference Finals ended, somebody on Twitter that I was talking to said they should give the the Conference Finals MVP to Jimmy Butler because he was the best player in the series. And uh somebody else in the comments said he's been the best player in the playoffs. And I was like, "Finally." Right? <laughs> I was like, "My man, all right, at least one person like can see it." Uh so it's like I think just, you know, it's a business. It is what it is. Uh, it's not going to change, but there's a reason that this Miami team that really showed that they're not that good was able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and take a team like the Celtics that's deep and talented and young to seven games. And even in that seventh game, like push them. So that says a lot about like who Jimmy Butler is and what kind of basketball he plays. So I hope that his situation gets better. Um, you know, we've been doing this for an hour. I, if we start talking about like, the greatest of all time conversation and all that it's gonna take us like a whole nother hour and i gotta eat dinner and stuff so we'll save that maybe we'll save that for once uh once the finals are over we can do like a finals recap and then get into like a little bit deeper uh like basketball discussion in terms of like all-time greats because when we were talking about like steph earlier and i was just thinking like you know he you know beat reggie miller and ray like first it was reggie then it was ray and then steph is now like the all-time leading uh three-point shooter i think in the playoffs and probably regular season two um but most people most people would not agree with what i'm about to say but i think ray allen and reggie miller are both better players than steph curry by a pretty decent margin i think they're both better true shooters um because of the release the way that they shoot the ball Curry is not a traditional shooter. He's a push shooter. So it, he can't just get it off. Like those guys, Ray and Reggie, like they're going to get it off. Like it's just a matter of, you know, how much you contest the shot, but they're going to get it off. Steph, it's hard to get that shot off with confidence unless there's, if there's no space, because if there's no space, he can't shoot it. It's impossible to get it off. Yeah. And just like, I think both Reggie and Ray were far better defenders. So it's like, yeah, they maybe like Steph is a better shooter and they they fall a little bit offensively behind him, but their contribution to the overall game with their defense in like isolation defense, especially was far better. It's like I watch Ray guard Kobe all the time. And yeah, Kobe got the better of him because he's a bigger player and Kobe's a very good player in his own right. But like Ray Allen was there in his face every play. It's not just like, oh, I'm beat. So I'm going to concede. 
he's like, no, I'm going to challenge you. And like, I'm going to force you to actually make those tough shots and make it as hard as possible because that's what a good defensive player does. You See, can't stop if, everything. If Steph was playing in that era, like, I don't know who, who he would guard because he couldn't guard those twos. He couldn't guard Ray's and, and Reggie's in a way. Like he would have to guard their point guards. And we all know how Steph, you know, kind of struggles with dealing with point guards. Yeah, just imagine Steph trying to like chase down uh, Rip Hamilton. No, it's like, too much. All that, size. Yeah, all that, all that movement, like no chance. So, so th- that's kind of why this new era sucks because nobody's changing sides. <laughs> like people are just standing at the three point line, so Steph can hide on defense because this guy is just in the corner. I will say that Steph does move well without the ball. Uh, Golden State as an entire unit moves pretty well. Uh, without the ball, which is what creates those uh, those lanes we were talking about at the beginning of the show with uh, Draymond creating a lot of those uh, passing lanes and sometimes turnovers. But collectively, they move well without the ball, and Steph definitely does that as well. But you see they hide him on defense where they can. So it's going to be – that's the matchup, like, I think, first and foremost to watch. Then how they how Golden State decides to defend Tatum. Because he showed that he could get frustrated, start turning the ball over himself in the Miami series. So if they can force that and then they have to score mostly through Horford and Jalen Brown, who's not a great shooter, but is a decent shooter. If you can just put the burden of like scoring north of 25 onto any of the other players besides Tatum, it will make things a lot harder for Boston. So is there is there a matchup that you are looking forward to in terms of like its value to the series? Um, I th- of course, the point guard matchup, Smart and, um, and Curry. More so just Smart because I know Smart's going to be guarding him. I'm not sure if Curry's going to be guarding him, uh, at least not the whole game. And the other matchup, I'm curious to see who Golden State puts on Jalen Brown because I'm pretty sure they're going to put Wiggins on Tatum. Yeah. So do you put a hobbled clay on him? Do you put Jordan Poole on him? Like, who do you put on Brown? Because whoever you put on him, they're going to have their offense zapped a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, cause like you said, Clay's not – I don't think he's quick enough at this point right now. Uh, so maybe you switch and, like, Clay's kind of big, so maybe stick him and, like, have him guard Horford a little bit and put Draymond over there and just hope that Draymond stays out of foul trouble and doesn't get ejected from the game. But if, if Horford goes into the post – Thompson can't handle him. So the the matchups are going to be it's going to be really interesting. The matchups are going to be big. Uh let's going to let's see what Steve Kerr does. Like Steve Kerr is going to show us if he's really as good as, you know, we think he is because he's going to have to coach this series. He Maybe sure not is. so much not so much offensively, but they're going to have to adjust to what Boston is doing to them because Boston has just so much size and they're crazy athletic. So if, if Golden State starts getting in foul trouble, especially Draymond, like you said, if Draymond gets in foul trouble, oof, it can it can go downhill really quick. Yeah, because if you have to bring him off the floor due to foul trouble, it's like, okay, well, now who runs? So it's like, okay, your fast break offense is gone. So you give the ball to Poole maybe and let him be the setup guy and then get Steph and Clay to their shooting spots. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's a big ask. And, like, Wiggins has played well, but... Do you put do you put the ball in Wiggins' hands and ask him to be like the guy in this series again after coming off a really strong series in the last one? 
I don't know. There's and a lot of questions to be answered, but that's good though. It, it means it's actually an interesting series. Uh, and I initially thought, like you know, Golden State. I was like, Golden State's gonna beat their ass. And then, as soon as like I stopped thinking that, I was like, I don't know. Like Boston's actually really good. They're big everywhere. Like the more I thought about it, like the more I got rid of the knee jerk reaction, I was like, I don't know. I could see Boston winning this. Yeah, they're they're tailor made for yeah. what each other does. Like they're perfect for what each other does. So. It's gonna just like uh, what's that saying? They say um, force meeting an immovable object. How, how does that saying yeah. go? Yeah, uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Something's got to uh, give. Yeah, that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna. That's why I, I compared it to boxing because both teams are gonna take it on the chin. How how are you gonna respond? And we've seen Boston take it on the chin a lot, and it doesn't affect them no matter how many points they're down. Like I said, Golden State hasn't suffered any adversity in this playoffs. Yeah, they've been together a long time as a team, but they haven't gone through the fire in this playoffs yet. So we still don't know how they're going to respond to a chin check. Good point. Uh, it starts tomorrow. Tomorrow night. I got to make time for that. But uh... Yeah, I probably won't see it visually, but I'll be, I'll be at least watching the play-by-play, seeing what's going on. Yeah, well, thank you for stopping by. As soon as I put this out, like, tomorrow afternoon, people are going to be like, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He's, he doesn't know anything about basketball. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you might and be right. I don't even know anymore. Yeah, that's the thing about basketball, too. It's like there's so many perspectives. But at the end of the day, it's like yeah, we're all fans. You know, we all respect the game. Um I think it kind of comes down to, you know, if you're a fan and you're that passionate about that, if you're going to go at other people, eh, put your money where your mouth is, yeah? Yeah. If not, just, you know, support your team and, you know, good fun. Um, But, yeah, at the end of the day, I I would have to say the GOAT is is Michael Jordan. Hands down. He is. I think I might post a link to that that Ultimate Jordan mixtape in the show notes for this because it was just so fun to watch. Like, yeah, like um, seeing those people react, those LeBron friends react, and seeing reality hit them, it was the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. Because, <laughs> because I, I didn't know that there are really people out there that haven't seen Jordan before. It's just like he's so household, you think everybody's seen him, but there's a whole generation of, of basketball people that never saw him. And if you just watch his highlight tape for just a minute and see the velocity and the ferocity that he plays with, He's moving at a whole different velocity than anybody in this era. So, like, I don't see how anybody would stop him. He was, like, he was moving how Janice moves, but, like, with crazy basketball skill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, much better ball handling skills. Uh, much better passing and vision. Like, his vision was incredible. I think maybe I didn't even realize how good his vision was. But there's a lot of plays where he gets into the pocket and there's just a ton of defenders. And it's like he knows exactly where the open guy is. And he's just... He's just setting them up with that dribble into trouble so he can uh, kick it out or uh, hit the either the shooter or the cutter. Uh, let me see. When was his final season? It's 2002, 2003. So theoretically, there's people who could have been watching basketball for 20 years at this point and had never seen him play. So I think that's like the reality that we're starting to see is that, you know, 20 years have gone by since the end of his career. So there's an entire generation of, you know, people who have watched 20 years of basketball and never seen this guy. So 
I've never seen I've never seen nothing like it in in sports. I mean, I compare some of the other athletes from other sports, and it's like, okay, yeah, same level, but not the impact. Like, for example, in football, Lawrence Taylor, mm-hmm. he he's a Michael Jordan in his own right, but he's not affecting the game in such an an impactful way. But that's the feeling you get. It's just like this guy is is different. It's like he's not even from our planet or something. Yeah, listening to some other players be like, no, Michael Jordan was a god. It wasn't just that like he was a great basketball player, that he was the greatest. Uh, and I think one good analogy to end on is that when people talk about greatness in other sports, Tiger Woods is the Michael Jordan of golf. Tom Brady's the Michael Jordan of football. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky's the Michael Jordan of hockey. Like all these other guys who are the greatest at what they've done in other sports, they still have to be under that banner of the greatness that Michael Jordan had. So food for thought. Uh, thanks for coming and doing the show again. We will do, it'll be probably two weeks or so before the, the finals is over. So we'll uh, tentatively put something in the books. If I'm working at the time, we may have to do a weekend, but so be it. Okay. Well, I'd like to give a shout out to LeBron James and great player, nothing personal, bro, but that, that guy's just different, man. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, two or three, but you're not that guy. <laughs> LeBron is a very good guy off the court. Uh, he does a lot for the community. He's been good for the game of basketball. He's been good for basically every town that he's gone into. So, you know, LeBron's a great player, uh, and I give him a lot of credit as a person. But, yeah, he's not Michael Jordan. My modern-day ambassador, uh, I I wish he wasn't so insecure about it because he kind of wears it, and we see it now, and it's like, ah, it kind of he, – he's lost his allure a little bit because you can just see that insecurity. Nobody else is insecure about not being better than Michael Jordan except him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we all have our cross to bear, so. All right. Uh yeah, that'll do it for this time, and then we'll we'll get into some good conversation stuff uh, in the future after this season's over when there's not something pressing to talk about. Okay, well, uh, thanks for having me, and I look forward to the upcoming NFL season. It's going to be another good Can't get here soon enough. <laughs> right. Get, get these finals over with so football can get its way over here already. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Cool. All right, brother. Thanks, uh, and have a good night, man. Okay, you too. Take care. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by liking, subscribing, sharing, wherever you get your podcasts. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at info at And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills. <laughs>